Welcome to Courage to Heal, a podcast where we explore the battles we wage within ourselves. I am your host, Ana Kandrueva, a psychotherapist and a mental health advocate. This is Season 1, Episode 3, Bipolar and Trauma. all of you and welcome to our conversation about how trauma affects bipolar disorder. I would like to begin by giving you a quick overview of this topic, starting with the definition of trauma. We all experience stress. At every age, our daily lives are full of situations that frustrate or worry us. And most of the time, we have the support and skills we need to handle life's challenges. But sometimes the stress we experience is so intense or goes on for so long that it overwhelms our ability to cope. This is how we become traumatized. Trauma is the impact felt from high levels of toxic stress. Research has shown that trauma is associated with both mental health and chronic physical health conditions, especially those traumatic events that occur during childhood. Substance use, mental illness, and risky behaviors have been linked with traumatic experiences. And when it comes to bipolar, the statistics are staggering. People with bipolar are twice as likely to have multiple traumas in their lives as people who do not have this illness. Emotional abuse has the biggest impact by far, followed by emotional neglect. People who were emotionally abused as children have higher severity of all bipolar symptoms, from depression to anxiety to impulsivity. They have more depressive and mixed episodes, experience more suicidality, have an earlier onset as early as 13 years of age, and are more likely to cycle rapidly. Around 60% of people with bipolar experience this kind of verbal or emotional abuse growing up. Up to 39% of people with bipolar are diagnosed with PTSD compared to about 3.5% of the general population. So it's not surprising that I want to address this issue. It's so significant and yet it's rarely discussed. Let's shed more light on this connection. Today we're talking with Isabella. Uh, This is not her real name. And Isabella graciously agreed to tell her story today of bipolar and trauma. So welcome to Courage to Heal, Isabella. It's very nice to have you here. Hello, I'm happy to be here too. Um, And Isabella, I wonder if you can get started just by telling my listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm a 40-year-old woman. Um, I'm off work since November now, but I was a dubbing comedian and a music teacher. Um, I had two jobs, and I have a little daughter who is 10 years old. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, Isabella, how did you first come to find out that you have bipolar disorder? Well, it, it was not... For me, it was not at one point realizing that I have bipolar disorder because my brother was diagnosed before me and my mother too. So to me, it was kind of like a familiar trait to to behave weirdly. So I knew something was wrong with me, but the real 
diagnosis um, it was last year. It's because my symptoms were, were a little bit milder than, than my, my parents' um, and my brother's uh, symptoms. So I always thought, no, I'm not like them. I'm fine. But turned out I was bipolar two and they were bipolar one. So yeah, I kind of neglected myself. But last year I met um, that the, the great psychiatrist and he just made it clear for me. And yeah, that's what happened. So I was 39. Okay, yeah, it's, you know, not uncommon for people to live with those symptoms, especially with type 2, because it does tend to be a bit milder, and not know, not realize that something might even be wrong. Um, And since you're so recently diagnosed, I wonder, how did you feel when you first found out? Well, I I was relieved, really, because it, it finally all made sense, all my behavior, who I am, uh, why I am like that. So it was a relief. Um, I'm going to be honest. I had that psychiatrist 10 years ago who kind of suggested it might be bipolar, but my brother wasn't diagnosed yet, and I just refused to hear about that. Uh, I didn't want to be on meds. I didn't want my life to change. So I kind of knew it in the back of my head, but wasn't really um, ready to receive that diagnosis. Right. I think a lot of people aren't ready at first because it is a very serious diagnosis. And yeah, it can be hard to accept that this is what I have. No, it's, it's, it's difficult. But at the same time, as I said before, for me, it was something familiar. I, I, I had to deal with a bipolar mom. I had to deal with a bipolar brother. So to me, it was kind of natural or normal or I thought everybody functioned like that before so at the same time it was a relief and at the same time it was okay yes I knew there was a problem with this family so <laughs> right okay so since you say it was relief I wonder if you did have any fears or concerns when you found out oh yes my, my biggest fear was uh, that I had passed it on my daughter right right because it is very easy to pass it on Oh, yeah. And also, she's hypersensitive already. She's um, a very smart kid that that um, has very intense emotions. And so um, I know that I was like that when I was when I was a kid. And she has her lot of traumas <laughs> enough already. Uh, my ex-husband just disappeared. He abandoned us. He, he abandoned her, especially. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm really, I'm, I try my best to be the best mom ever. But with my condition and with, you know, the world around her, that's my biggest fear in life. Yeah. I just want her to be happy, so. Of course, that's very understandable. I have a teenage son myself, and it's really hard to be uh, or to be able to tell with teenagers if it's just normal mood swings that they go through, or if it might be first indications of bipolar. So I have the very same fear that you do: is what if I pass that on? Yeah. Well, um, knowing what you know now about bipolar, uh, what would you tell your old self back then? Well, I had my first symptoms appear when I was 23. I had this giant panic attack. I didn't know what was happening to me. And I had another uh, second panic attack in the same week. And then I had depression. That's how that's how it all started when I was around 23. Four months of horrible depression and 
anxiety all the time. And I kind of neglected it. Um, and if I was to say something to myself at that time is get help right away. Don't wait till it passes or don't. Uh, be afraid to have something because you better you better be diagnosed and get treated than live in denial and make the things go worse because over time um, I, I I've had bipolar for 20 years now and over time it only got worse it only got worse depression cycles are longer uh, hypomanic became the way I am when I'm not depressive so yeah I, I'd say I, I would say to myself to get help right away, not wait. I'm curious, do you have periods of stability in between hypomania and depression at all? I had three years of stability, and that is why, why it's so confusing. Uh, it's, uh, it started around my, my early 20s, and I was kind of um, okay from 2016 until 2019. I was great. I was uh, I was feeling all right. I wasn't feeling uh, that there was a gap between me and other people. I wasn't thinking too fast and I wasn't getting all those depressions. But that was right after an EMDR therapy I had. So I got better for three years. And all of a sudden, in 2019, I had this uh, dissociative uh, episode where I just wouldn't recognize anything around me, wouldn't recognize myself in the mirror, watching my hands and wondering whose hands are, are, are those. And it all happened again, anxiety, depression, hypomania, and, and such. So that was the normal, the, 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 the longest normal uh, state I had. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have, I want to say normal uh, days, but in that day, I'm going to have uh, mood swings or also what I call my... Um, monthly mood swing i have tdspm as well so those three to five days before i have my period i'm just suicidal i just want to end it it's too hard and it's just unbearable also i think that what might have uh, um, delayed my diagnosis is that i was under birth control and that significantly um, made my life better because i didn't have those uh, ups and downs during my cycle and when I stopped taking birth control after I had my daughter, I was 29, 30, I was 30. Uh, it only got worse. It got downhill from there to total mess. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Us women, we do have a harder time with rapid cycling. Like you said, those daily swings. And then, of course, hormones really affect how bipolar shows up in women. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, for example, I had all my life, I had acne, even if I'm like my age. And since I started taking the SSRI, it all disappeared. And I tried every treatment before to make that acne disappear. <laughs> but apparently I had a very high level of cortisol that made my face just pop up with pimples all the time. Okay, so it sounds like SSRIs were helpful, at least in that regard. Um, were they helpful for you with bipolar symptoms, too? I'm not going to lie, it's, it, it helps with getting me a little sedated, is what I'm feeling, at least. I'm a little less um, aggressive or uh, easily triggered. I'm a, little, I'm a little more chill. 
and it makes also it makes it makes me numb during depression i'm not as depressed as but i'm not going to say it cures it all like uh like i don't know paracetamol for a headache it's not it's not as magical but it it sure helps it it's well it has advantages and disadvantages disadvantages as an artist and musician i know it kills my creativity uh it the music is gone from my life when i take those meds so uh yeah but I, at my age i have suffered so much that i'm willing to give up that for just being a little less miserable oh can i relate oh my gosh um i'm a writer and creativity definitely gets dulled when bipolar symptoms disappear our creativity is very much affected by that yeah um, and uh, Isabella, you mentioned a dissociative episode, so I kind of want to go back to that. Since this episode of the podcast is on bipolar and trauma, um, will you please share as much as you are comfortable about your upbringing and related trauma? Sure. Uh, during therapy, um, we spotted a major trauma in my childhood when I was six years old. Uh, my mom had Mom, she was pregnant and she had two baby boys, twins, born prematurely. And um, I'm not sure why my dad took me to see those babies. No one was allowed to get in the room because they were premature in that heated box, you know. And he said, okay, what do you want to call them? And, I, and one was very pretty and the other was all blue and weird. And I said, this one, I want to call him what I called my brother because I had a, a little crush on someone who had that same name. And the other one, he said, and the other one, I said, I don't want him. I don't want him. And he obviously died. And all my life, I had that guilt of, oh my God, what if I had chosen him? I had that magical thought that my my thinking my thoughts or my will will have a consequent um a, a consequence on 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 in real life on people so after that it only got worse because my mom got severely depressed they had to take my uh, my other brother to to another country to get him treated and my mom was just like furious and it she lost she lost it really at that time uh, she became super aggressive and she blamed me. She said, it's because you had the flu and slept with me that night when you had the fever that the kids, that your brothers got uh, a disease. And that's why I had them before term. And that's why their the other brother is dead. So it was horrifying to me. It was all my fault. And there was nothing I could do about it. My mother was unhappy because of me. I killed one of my brothers. Um, how could it be worse? <laughs> I mean, life was just, it, it, it was absolute horror. So my mom kind of hated me for this all my life. So I didn't have a loving, caring mother. She was, everything was all about my brother. And when I was in therapy, I thought that was what uh, triggered that bipolar thing. But then again, as, as I said, my brother has bipolar too. And he was the favorite kid. <laughs> he was the love of her life. He was the surviving son. He was, yeah. So um, I know it's related because of how I behaved later. Uh, I got a messy marriage. Um, I married a guy who only would mistreat me. He was a narcissist pervert. 
uh, he abandoned me and the kid. He cheated on me when I was pregnant. It's like I was looking for it. It's like I was looking for trouble because I didn't know how to be loved. I didn't know. I didn't even know if I deserved to be loved. So it it only did ruin my entire life. Sorry. Mm. Um. So yeah, those are the two major traumas in my life. <laughs> Yeah, that certainly sounds really, really terrible to go through that as a young child and then to go through more trauma as an adult. Uh, and um, you kind of said that, well, we don't know if any of this triggered the illness because it's clearly genetic in this case. But do you believe that all of this trauma made your symptoms worse? Yes, yes, definitely. And the fact of not having an environment where, where I was loved and understood and where I could just at least exist as a person. You know, she, she, my mother, she would just shut me off every time I tried to do something about myself or try to, she was never happy with my work. She was never happy with who I was. She, always, she would always criticize. She would, so it, of course it wasn't helping. I was crushed in my own personality. Uh, fortunately I had a loving dad, but he was a little bit too much. And my dad has always lived in denial to, to him. It's all fantasy. It's all, not, none of this is happening. It's his way from protect for protecting himself, I, I guess, but it's not helping, helping to live with someone who destroys you and someone who doesn't acknowledge the destroying. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. I can only imagine that. Um, and since you mentioned that kind of denial on your dad's behalf, I wonder if you also encountered some stigma in your life and if that caused any shame around having bipolar. Of course, all the time. I, every time I have an episode, uh, either hypomanic or depressive, my friends are like, why, why don't you, why you don't want to get out with us? You said you were coming and I'm not coming and I don't feel like telling them, listen, it's either I'm going to throw myself out a window or I'm going to bark at someone, just make them feel horrible for who they are for and yell at people or something. So just, I'm not fine. And they, and people who do not have the mental illness issues, they don't understand. They're like, just make an effort. Just, um, you know, it's it's uh, your best friend's birthday. You have to show up. Yeah, but I can't. Or I'm afraid to show up and be a mess and just ruin everything. So also at work, uh, as I told you, I'm off work since November and I have this huge guilt. Well, for the dubbing industry, it's all right because I have I had finished all my projects before stopping and it's only TV, so who cares? <laughs> but for my other job, the teaching job, uh, oh my God, I feel so guilty. Uh, the kids text me all the day. When are you coming, teacher? When are you coming back? And I feel so horrible. I feel like I let them down. And even if it's not, not my favorite job in the world, um, uh, I, I feel horrible for not being able to function as others do. Yeah, I can certainly, certainly understand that. Um, I myself <laughs> have had to go on medical leaves from work. That's something I told my listeners in my very first episode. And that was so incredibly shameful to know or to at least feel as if I'm letting people down and to feel like there's something wrong with me. Why can't I just work? Exactly, exactly. 
It's tough. It's very mm-hmm. tough. Um, and you also mentioned this, you know, adulthood trauma too, because there's we do find in research that there's a bit of a difference between uh, childhood trauma and adulthood trauma. So as you were dealing with your husband traumatizing you, I wonder if you noticed your symptoms getting worse right around that time. Um, yes, especially that I had postpartum depression too, and that he wouldn't yeah, he just didn't care. He was partying with his friends. He was a real narcissist. Like he was so selfish to me. It was alienating because I was, I was like, how could you? How, I mean, even if I need your help, I need you here and you're not here and you're only making things worse. And one day we ended up at the police station because I didn't want to let him in. And he broke in through the kitchen door. I mean, it was all drama all the time. And he just didn't understand. He, he, life was about him and life was beautiful and it was his thing. And we, he was the main character and we were just gravitating around him. And I didn't get the, the help I needed. So it obviously triggered a lot of depression. When I had my daughter, I had that day where I was bathing her. And to me, it was so simple. I just had to drown her and slit my wrists. And that was it. That was over because nothing was worth it anymore. And that's when I I, I reached out for help because I scared it. I scared myself. Um, like five minutes later, I started crying. I'm like, no, I'm not that person. What am I doing? I'm, are you crazy? Like she's, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. Why would I want to do that? And, um, so yes, it only made things worse. Uh, but it also helped me reach out for help, as I said, and that's when I did that EMDR thing. And it helped me because as much as I thought that man was toxic, I thought I needed him because he had that confidence and all that. I, he was everything that I wasn't. He was uh, extroverted, confident. Uh, everyone liked him. Um, he was successful. He was a surfer. I mean, he was all the things that people usually like. And so I was like, nothing is going to be possible without him. And I w- didn't want to deprive my daughter of a father too. So it was really difficult for me to... to to move on. So I had that EMDR therapy with a great therapist. So yes, that there are negative points, but also positive points. And you're, you mentioned EMDR therapy. So I just want to tell my listeners a little bit more about that, that EMDR was developed specifically for trauma. And over time, research started showing that it's effective for other things too, like anxiety, depression, phobias, even eating disorders, all kinds of things. But the primary uh, point of EMDR is to treat trauma. And it sounds like that's why you sought it out is because of trauma, not because of bipolar symptoms. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, with these kind of disorders, there is not one magical recipe that works for everyone. I mean, the EMDR, the EMDR worked for me, it didn't work for my brother, he hated it. And um, some other stuff worked for him that didn't work for me at all. Like he did some kind of rebirth ritual that I found super weird. I'm not into that kind of stuff. He is, he's, he's, a, he's very spiritual, but I am clearly not. Uh, so it, to me, it was not appealing. It was like, why would I do something like that? It's <laughs> charlatans all the way. <laughs> so 
Yeah, EMDR really helped me, I can say for sure. Now I'm not sure it works for everyone, just just like the other, just like the meds, just like other therapies. I actually just read a research study the other day that showed that for those people who are traumatized and have bipolar, EMDR helped, and it was confirmed with MRI scans of their brains. But then it's kind of unclear whether EMDR can help people with bipolar who don't have trauma. So it seems to be that EMDR helps the trauma symptoms and Related to that, bipolar symptoms also diminish. So did you notice that, that when you were doing this EMDR for trauma, your bipolar symptoms also got better? Oh, they were gone. That's what I said before. They were gone for three years. Three years, I was fine. I had the best time of my life those three years. I had a band. We were touring. I was playing music. I had quit that stupid teaching job that I hate so much. And I was just being myself. I was doing shows on TV for dubbing. I was I was free of pain and anxiety. And I was just living my life. My daughter was growing up all healthy and fine. And I was meeting people. I had a few relationships that didn't work out so much, but it didn't destroy me to just to leave those people, for example. I was doing just fine. Until that day, <laughs> 2019, when it all came back and hit me like a, like, like a, like a, like a train, <laughs> you know? I'm not, I'm not sure why. Because there was nothing new, nothing had changed dramatically in my life. I had, I was in a pretty uh, serious relationship too. I had support. I didn't, well, maybe I was drinking a little bit heavily at the time (laughs) because that's how I self-medicated myself before treatment. I used to drink every day. And depending on if I was depressed or hypomanic, I would regulate the dosage of if I was going to drink the whole bottle or just a few glasses. So the, my, my the psychothera- psycho, psycho, psychiatrist said that it was probably the alcohol on the long run that made, made it all come back. That makes sense. Uh, Certainly substance misuse, especially alcohol. First of all, it's really common in bipolar. Just like you said, it's self-medication. And then we do find that it can be a big trigger. I can once again relate to that because I was also drinking too much to self-medicate. And I do wonder going back, like if I didn't do that, would things be better? You know, did I screw it all up? It feels so great, though. It's the best uh, anti-anxiety thing that, that ever happened to me. <laughs> I mean, it on the on the short run, it works so good, but then you know, it ruins your life, your liver, your brain, and it, on the long run, it only makes it work worse. So, absolutely. Um, so, Isabella, what are some of your biggest challenges now? To get back to work, for one. Um, and to get a, a life that is more suitable for me. I'm trying to leave the city right now. I'm selling my apartment. I'm trying to find something, uh, a, a quieter place, maybe near the ocean or, or a little bit, you know, close to nature. And I'm trying to slow down my um, working rate because, I, as I told you, when I was capable of, you know, I had 
three jobs at some point and it was just crazy but um it was also a way to to get away from from all my problems because if i was busy i wasn't thinking about how miserable i was feeling so now i just i'm burned out totally i don't have the strength to do this anymore so i'm trying to figure out what lifestyle could you know because you got to eat <laughs> so what uh, what i what i can do that is not that is not going to damage my mental health but also bring a little bit of money so yeah. You know, once again, going back to research, we do see that in people with bipolar, there's huge issues with employment. Because of the ups and downs, it's really hard to maintain stable employment. Yes, it's true. Me, I found, I found my way through uh, uh, arts because you have flexible hours and you can more or less choose if you want to go or don't want to go on that day, especially that they know that... Um, artists are into substance abuse and everything so if you call one morning and say i'm not coming they, they kind of understand you know but not with the teaching job and i think that's that's what most um um it's the, the the highest pressure for me because i can't just call in sick and say i can't come why because the vibe is off because today is not a good day you know it's not a real reason not to show up uh at work and Isabella, we're talking about all kinds of negatives that come with bipolar. So I wonder, do you believe that there are any strengths or positives about having this illness? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially the, the, the creativity part. Um, when I'm hypomanic, I'm on the top of the world. I feel great. I feel I don't think normal people do feel like that. Not, not if they're not on drugs or something, <laughs> because when I talk to people around me, they're like, oh, yeah, that's like when you're high on cocaine. And I don't know. I'm just telling you, I feel like a, um, I'm great and I'm greater than great. And so that helped me a lot with songwriting, music, composing, lyrics and everything. And I don't think I would have came up with a work that is so uh, deep and condensed in time because I wouldn't sleep for days and keep on writing and uh, it, it, it just came it, it, it's like it didn't come from me it just came through me like I would just hear the music in my head or write lyrics down as if someone as, as if someone was dictating them to me so it's a weird feeling it's like it's like a superpower <laughs> Absolutely. It can feel like that. Like I mentioned, I'm a writer. And when I was hypomanic, I wrote a huge novel. I could just sit there and write for hours. And like you said, it kind of comes through you. It's like this stream of creative consciousness. And unfortunately, when I became stable, now it's a huge chore and I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Usually what, usually what I do is just put it aside and wait until the next episode kicks in. <laughs> Right. And that, you know, brings us back to, well, how healthy is it, you know, if we want to become stable, but then we know that we would lose that creativity that for you has to do with making money and making a living. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the worst part was, I think, the, the sedating uh, thing of with the meds, like I feel so numb and not be able to express my feelings as as I used to, but at the same time, I, I find inner peace in that because there's, there's no need to, 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 to be all that emotional all the time, you know? It's tiring, really, because, yeah, one of the, 
I always say there are two things that are really horrible with this condition is the fact that you are scared all the time. I'm anxious all the time. And um, I'm tired all the time. Even when I'm um, like, I don't have very long episodes of hypomania, but three, four days. And then I have to sleep for two weeks because it was too much. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the, what the initial question was. I just went off wondering. <laughs> oh, no, this is wonderful because you're giving my listeners such a great overview of what it's like to truly have bipolar and to have those dilemmas of, do I do what I need to do to be stable? Do I remain with these swings and keep that creativity, keep that fire burning? Um, oh, that that was my first choice always until I... Until I, I burned it all, like uh, it was this, yeah, I told you last November when I just decided, okay, that's enough. I've had enough. I cannot keep on going like this. But even if I knew before that something was wrong with me, I was never willing to give up my creativity to, for treatment. Never. I, I thought I was doing, I was doing just fine and I would, I would survive and I would, um, you know, like a Phoenix or, or I like to compare it to Persephone, you know, the Hades' wife, she hides a little bit in hell and then comes back and it's spring and everything is fine again. So, yeah, but this year it was too hard on me. So enough. <laughs> Maybe I'll change my mind, you know, maybe in two months you call me and I'm going to be off meds, <laughs> I don't know where, on a trip somewhere, <laughs> I don't know. But for at the moment, I can tell you that I want to take this seriously and take my meds. What do you wish that people who don't have bipolar understood about those of us who do have it? Yeah, I want them to know that... Um, Whatever understanding or, or they, they can be understanding all they want, they can never really know what it feels like. And they get bothered at a certain point. Like they, even if they're understanding and they're here for you, at some point their attitude is going to be, okay, fine, just stop it now, as if, as if I was acting. But I'm not acting. If I'm acting, is more to hide um symptoms than to overplay symptoms so when you see me that i'm acting weird or that it doesn't seem real it's not because i'm hiding um behind the character it's because i'm hiding symptoms not to feel that crazy to you so um i want them to know that they will never know what it is and so um some of my friends are very understanding. My family, too, they're supportive. Uh, but there's always that... I, I always feel like I'm... Like they're watching me. Ooh, maybe she's going to snap, you know? <laughs> and, um, and that's... They're ne they, they never treat you as if you were normal. There's always a little hesitating pattern of is she herself or not? So, yeah, don't do that, people who don't have bipolar, please. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, ultimately, that's the stigma, right, is people think that we're, quote, unquote, crazy. Yeah, and that we can, I mean, I never uh, snap. Like, they think you're just going to 
woo, to, <laughs> to change your face and just become and act crazy. No, I have I have things that will trigger maybe a, a hypomanic behavior, even if I'm not in an episode. Like it's I'm going to behave agitated. Maybe if someone tells me something I don't agree with, or that's something that gets on my nerves, really, like racism for me, it's not, a, it's not supposed to be a thing. So when someone starts an argument with this kind of subject, it just makes me mad. And I can just like scream at the person. And I, I know it's myself. I'm, I mean, I'm defending right ideas, but to other people around me, like my friends, like, just chill, you, you're destroying this person, you're being too much, and I don't see it on the, on the moment, on the spot, but then I realized maybe I was too hard on that person, um, but again, it, I, I don't snap into madness, like, I'm not going to be here with you talking normally, and then just walk and throw myself out of the window, this is not how it works, so, <laughs> yeah. Right. And you mentioned medication several times. Um, what are some other coping strategies, if there are any, do you use in the present moment? Um, at the moment, none. Uh, but I feel like I should go back to therapy because uh, it's been um, four years now. And it feels like I need to talk to someone because life changes and you change and Uh, you need new guidance or maybe advice or maybe just someone to listen to you that doesn't judge you or 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 tries to give you instant solutions like why don't you just go for a run no i'm not going for a run <laughs> that's not gonna help with anything you know yeah yeah and that advice is quite common people will tell us just go exercise just do yoga <laughs> just get some sunshine just drink lots yeah, of yeah. water <laughs> And they don't understand that we quite literally have different brains and stuff like that. Sure, it might help, but it's so hard to do and it's not going to cure bipolar. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so um, as we wind down here, is there anything that you would like my listeners to know about bipolar that you haven't yet talked about? I'm not sure. I think we covered it all. All I want to tell them is that um, maybe reach out for help as much as you can don't hide it's not shameful i know it can feel like that at times but um the more you talk about it and the more you are okay you are at peace with with it with yourself you're gonna get um better and you get better in relationships with people and yeah don't don't hesitate to reach out for help don't hide Great. Thank you for that advice. Um, and Isabella, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know it's a difficult story and opening up about that, of course, is difficult too. And I'm a firm believer that the more awareness we spread about this illness, the more open we are, the more help other people are going to get. And like you said, that's really important. Yes, exactly. And thank you, Anna, for, for this podcast and everything you do to raise awareness. And it's very important. The, most, the, the more we do that, the more hopefully people will understand. Thank you so much. And, you know, as, as, um, as we work together, all of us, all of us who have bipolar, I do believe that we can fight that stigma and hopefully make everything better. So thank you once again. Um, well, thank and you. thank you. Yeah, thank you to all my listeners for listening today.
I hope Isabella's story sheds some light on the challenges traumatized people face when also dealing with bipolar symptoms. Thank you for listening and helping me spread awareness about all things mental health. Please subscribe and leave a review to help other people find courage to heal. For our next episode, stay tuned for an interview with Michelle Reitinger, who will share her story of being a mother with bipolar and her amazing journey to recovery. Until then, take care and stay courageous.